Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley, and each week I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon prep, and they will share some things with us that we did not hear in the sermon. The goal of the podcast is to ask things like, why did our church need to hear this message on Sunday? Or, why did you personally need to preach this message? The pastors will also share some practical next steps. If you're like me, you might be thinking, I have barely enough time to brush my teeth or even listen to this podcast, and that's okay. That's why we'll make sure to share some practical application for those of you who are already feeling maxed out, and maybe some application for those of you who have more time and space to process. We're glad you're here listening. Here's my conversation with Pastor Joey. Hey, Joey, how's it going? Uh, Good. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great uh, day outside. It's beautiful and it's sunny. Are you able to enjoy the outside at all this week? Hopefully a little bit later after this, I might be able to go for a run. I haven't gotten outside yet today, but I hear it's pretty awesome and that the windows are open at home. So um, yes, I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about your sermon from Sunday. You preached from Isaiah 53. Yeah. Um, just three short verses, and um, you're opening up your Bible, it looks like. Are you going to read those for us? Uh, sure. I could read them real quick if you'd like. I was just uh, wanted to have the text in front of me for when you asked me to summarize the sermon, because all of my thoughts about it are tied to this spot on this page. Yeah. All right. Go for it. Yeah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I should say this is Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Mm-hmm. That was verse 4. Verse 5 now. But He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a great passage, it's right, you know, it's the center of this five-part servant song, Um, and a lot of of poetry, a lot of even well-structured prose writing has what's sometimes called a chiastic structure, which means like a you know, an X shaped structure or like a, you know, like a greater than sign where like the, the first part and the last part part kind of tie together and the second part and the fourth part kind of relate to each other. And the third part right in that middle Mm. stands alone and is sort of the main key. So it's like, everything is pointing towards that. Sure. And that's these three verses. Yeah. That's these three verses. And well, it's, it's, sorry, that's these three verses are that center of the five. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so would you summarize your sermon for us? Um, you, your main idea was that nothing that we do and nothing that is done to us will define us. Yeah, nothing done to us, nothing done by us will ultimately define us. Um, you know, I was reading these these verses, and in the servant song so far, we're going through this, we're seeing you know Isaiah's prophesying about the servant to come and the reaction to him. He's putting himself in the voice of someone who saw the servant come, but, but missed it. And so he's kind of just, he's been describing why in verse, in the first part of the song, the second part of the song. And now as we've gotten to that third part of the song, it's describing what this servant himself did. And it, it just really struck me that there's two main categories that seem to come to mind for this servant. What he's going to do, he's going to bear our sorrows and our griefs or our pains and our illnesses, uh, depending on the translation you read. So he's going to bear himself the things done to us, but he's also going to give himself for the things done by us. When it says he took on himself our iniquities and our transgressions, when he took on himself our wandering like lost dumb sheep, 
um, all of that. He gave himself and then stood between us and the chastisement and the wounding and the crushing and the piercing and all of these mm -hmm. really kind of violent terms that Isaiah uses to describe uh, the natural consequences of sin. Um, this servant stood between his people and the consequences of their own sin. Mm -hmm. So that's when it occurred to me that, yeah, that nothing he's going to carry, he's willing to carry everything we've done and everything done to us. And it struck me in this context of both the last year of COVID and the sort of forced asceticism that so many of us have been going through and mourning the things done to us, but also friends and, and myself and others who I know are struggling with this sense of like what I've done, things that I have done, relationships I've damaged, things that I've broken. Like what if I'm no better than the worst thing I've ever done? Mm -hmm. I think it's a question that probably a lot of us, um, a lot of us wrestle with. And there's, I can't remember the name of the song, but there was something that came on the radio the other day where the line is like, um, staring at the bottom of a glass, wondering what it takes to make something last. The line goes something like that. And it just occurred to me like that picture of, you know, the lone person um, just trying to numb whatever they've, you know, numb the pain from whatever they've done. Sure. And wondering, is this what's going to define me? Yeah. So yeah. bottom line for us, if these aren't going to define us, what does? Right. And that's where the real hope comes in is that what, what defines us is not the things we've done or the things done to us, but the things that Jesus has carried for us. Well, I should probably put it a different way, different way. What will define us is that Jesus has carried these things for us, that he has borne our griefs and sorrows for us, and that he has put himself between us and what we've done. So at the end of, at the end of our lives, at the end of our stories, there may be uh, certainly a number of things that describe us, but the only thing that defines us is that Jesus bore this for us. That's pretty good. I should have said that in the sermon. <laughs> hey, that's why we just get to came do to this round two. I know. That just came to me now, the whole describe us versus define us thing. Oh. Next time. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Okay, Sermons well, are never done. They're just delivered. Yep. That's <laughs> what we said try last not, week, right? You try not to think about it afterwards or you'll come up with stuff you wish you'd said. Okay. Well, let's talk about some things that maybe you didn't uh, get to. So, Let's kind yeah. of, I'd like to just think about um, your sermon from a different angle. So you talked about grief, sorrow, our own rebellion, our iniquities, these negative um, things that don't define us. But what about all the things that, you know, we sometimes we really work for that we wish did sometimes define us in a sinful way that the world tells us defines us. So things that we've produced, we've accomplished that we've been working for, or even um, things like our family, our wealth, um, this is what the world tells us defines us. And so let's, can we talk about this from a different angle? Like how, what would you say to the people who are like, well, you know, I'm not really, um, this doesn't strike me the same way because I don't feel like I've lost that much or this past year, or I don't have much grief, which is hard to imagine following this past 2020, but imagine, okay. They might yeah. be feeling like I'm feeling pretty good. What would you say? <laughs> yeah, there's an old trite saying about preaching that you're supposed to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And this last Sunday was definitely about comforting the afflicted. Uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're preaching to those who are feeling the loss or feeling the despair. 
and saying, Jesus stands ready to shoulder that burden. Um, but we didn't, and I suppose I could have, you know, with another 20 minutes or something like that, kind of flipped it and answered that question of like, okay, so what, what does define us, you know, to the comfortable, to those who are like, yeah, but look at the size of my family. Look at the size of my retirement account. Look at the size of the house that I have. Look at the number of boats that I own. Look at the, you know, look at all the toys and all the things that we line up to try to uh, prove that we've succeeded, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we've won, that we've done well. Look at all of that. Can't you mm -hmm. see, like, obviously God's blessing me. And I would probably, you know, to that question, respond with something along the lines of, well, just the sense of idolatry is a strong way of putting it, but if all of those things were taken away, you know, would Jesus be enough for you? Or is Jesus only enough when it's Jesus plus the lake house, Jesus plus the seven figure job, you know, Jesus plus your yeah. kids never screwing up uh, or embarrassing you in public, you know, Jesus plus all these other things. Um, and that would have been that tack, of, right, of afflicting the comfortable and saying, you know, when it really comes down to it, um, what, you, what you need is the same thing as the afflicted. Thank you. So um, let's then go ahead and move on to this idea of application. So yeah. uh, something that you said at the end of, towards the end of your sermon was that one of the ways that you let Jesus um, take on the weight of the grief and the sorrow is through that liturgy in the morning while you're making your morning coffee. Yeah. Um, from Every Moment Holy, which we could also link if people are Yeah, that's a great, a great book, book of liturgies. Did you see the yeah. second version is coming out or just came out? No. Volume two? Oh, yes. I'm going to have to get that today. That's awesome. Yeah. We, I'm actually sitting next to mine, which is um, liturgy for preparation of a meal. And we nice. also love that in our home. So, Do you I, have the liturgy for changing diapers over the... No, but that's a great idea too. I just love that whole book. So if people aren't familiar with it, they should definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, you know, I just thought, first of all, I'm glad that you gave us one practical piece of something to do. But at the same time, um, just this whole idea of giving, uh, letting Jesus and asking him to bear this burden for us is not something that is so much a do as it is um, a process or a prayer or conversation over mm. a period of time, maybe. And I would just like you to give us maybe some more ideas of, are there more things to quote do? What's that song that we we sang it like in the '90s and the early two, 2000s. thousands. Uh, the the one that goes, "Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes." It's like I'm laying my burdens, I'm laying my shame, I'm I'm laying it down at the foot of. The, it's like, oh, it's a great song to sing, and at the end, you're like, I don't feel any lighter. Hmm. <laughs> I'm still carrying. I'm still carrying all this stuff. Like it, it struck yes. me that we or are. Sorry, Go I was ahead. gonna say, or the traditional idea of like taking this piece of paper where you've written yeah, something down right. and you nail it to the cross and you go back to your seat and you're like, oh, I don't how much different do I feel? Or like you wake up the next morning, what's changed? Right. Yes, and I don't know if well, I was gonna say I, I think we are we are about as connected or uh, we, we are as about as grasping of our burdens and sorrows as uh, Scrooge McDuck is with his money. Um, always want to know where it is and always afraid of losing them and never willing to let anyone else carry it for us. But I'm not so sure if God's desire for us is for us to find complete release of our burdens and sorrows or to be 
become the kind of people who continually hand them over. Okay. It seems like uh, sometime while I'm sleeping, I go grabbing them again, you know? Mm. Um, that's why that, that morning liturgy for me is important. Right. You know, I was looking at it again this morning. I, I woke up groggy, and so instead of doing my normal pour over, I did a Keurig, uh, which is a bit of a, you know, a, a, a cop out, but... Mm -hmm. It was still enough time Everyone's to read. Everyone's secretly judging you, Joey. I know. But... Please. <laughs> no, just send, send your comments to podcast at faithlivedout.org. <laughs> um, yeah. And so uh, it was enough time for me to read it again. And of course, today, this morning, I read it in light of having said on Sunday, like, you know, this is, this is an important thing uh, to do. But I think, I think a big part of it isn't finding a moment within which everything is released, never to be taken up again by ourselves and instead finding a process or finding a path by which we continually and continuously let go of these things that have been burdening us, these things that have happened to us or these things that we've done. Yeah. Sure. And that connects to an article that you were just telling me about that you read yesterday, yeah. not in not in enough in not advance in time. before yeah. your sermon, but also, yeah, it was written by Tim Keller and he's also talking about up this process. And mm -hmm. so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. For those that don't know Tim Keller, he's a fairly influential pastor in, uh, in New York city. He was a pastor in New York city. He's since retired and is focusing on writing and church planting. And, uh, he, he, uh, recently was given a, uh, cancer diagnosis and, uh, he wrote an article in the Atlantic. It was published yesterday morning. If I'd been reading the news half an hour before church, I might've seen it, but you know, he, one of the things he said in here that really struck with me is, uh, is this, after, after a, you know, a career, a lifetime of counseling other people through cancer diagnoses to have his own, he said it really forced him to reckon with how much of what he says does he really believe and act on, not mm -hmm. just intellectually believe, but it's, it's in, warmed its way into his heart. He says, one of the first things I learned was that religious faith does not automatically provide solace in times of crisis. A belief in God and an afterlife does not become spontaneously comforting and existentially strengthening. Despite my rational conscious acknowledgement that I would die someday, the shattering reality of a fatal diagnosis provoked a remarkably strong psychological denial of mortality. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he says Even he found it from him. Yeah. Right, right. He says he found himself thinking, what? No, I can't die. That happens to other people, not to me. Mm -hmm. And here I am saying, I, that would happen to me, but not Tim Keller. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, I can, I can see myself being like, what? No, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. But yeah, yeah. somebody that holy, right? Who's somebody yeah. who's read the Psalms all the way through all 150 every month for decades, you know, who knows yeah. so much of scripture, right? All of that doesn't automatically mean um, yeah. that it's, that it's going to, it's going to give you existential strength and that solace that we're looking for. So right. he said he really had to double down into some disciplines that he had encouraged so many others to do because they're scriptural. One was immersing himself in the Psalms, continuing to immerse himself in the Psalms to find in the Psalms, all those, all the words he needed for lament mm -hmm. and anger and confusion and despair, all of those words, but also in the Psalms, the model of, um, preaching to yourself. Mm -hmm. And he references Psalms that start out like, why are you downcast on my soul? You know, which is the psalmist just saying to himself, why am I sad? Mm -hmm. um, let's think about what's true about me in Jesus. Uh, and that's a huge part of it. Um, mm -hmm. 
So he says for himself, it was just, again, focusing on Jesus's costly love, death, and resurrection, not just something he believes and files away, but he says, a hope that sustained me all day. He says, I pray this prayer daily. Occasionally it electrifies, but ultimately it always calms. Hmm. Okay. And what are the other things you said, um, you know, reading through the Psalms and did you say there are two other ones? Oh, I don't know what I said. Now that I'm skimming the article again, I'm thinking, where's, where's his application part? But uh, uh, he, yeah, he says, first, immerse yourself in the Psalms. Second, preach to yourself. And I think third here is uh, looking hard at your deepest trusts, your strongest loves and fears and bringing them into contact with God. So let's link that article also in our show yeah, notes let's do that. too. And, you know, I think we could also put it on, the, on our blog page, our news page, maybe on the website. I think it would be helpful yeah. to people. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's helpful for me. Yeah. Thank you, Joey, so much for taking the time to, you know, go over some new things, some new ideas, and also just rehash what you shared with us yesterday. Yeah, no problem. This was great. Thanks All for right. setting it up. So what are we looking forward to next week? Oh, next week. Yeah, Yeah. next week we are in the next three verses, seven, eight, and nine. Um, This is about, okay, so 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. What the Old Testament sacrificial system could never do is it could never place a willing, I would say a willing will, a submissive will in place of our rebellious wills, right? It was only an animal. Yep. Um, which cannot willingly stand in for us. Right. Um, and so that's where the, the Old Testament sacrificial system found its greatest lack and it's and at our greatest need. We needed somebody who wanted to stand in for us. Mm-hmm. And so the next three verses are all about how Jesus, how the servant, uh, who we think is Jesus, um, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, uh, how Jesus willingly stood in for us and how that makes all the difference in sin being taken care of. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If this conversation has blessed you in any way, we encourage you to consider sharing it with others. If you ever wish to submit questions to our pastors following their Sunday sermon, you can email your questions to podcast at faithliveitout.org, and we'll do our best to cover the question in the episode. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.